Welcome back to Lost in Citations. My name is Kate Mayer. I'm an assistant professor at Kyoto University of Foreign Studies in Japan, and I was also interviewed in citation number 39. Today's guest is Neil Curry, learning advisor at Kanda University of International Studies in Japan. So, Neil, how are you? I'm okay, thank you. I'm getting ready for the new semester. How has that been? Yeah, it's, it's not so bad. It's, there's a new course, as I've mentioned to you before, we have a, a new faculty at the university, um, Global Liberal Arts, which I have to teach in. So I'm preparing the syllabus and the materials for that course. So that's going to take a, a bit of time. It's not from scratch, but a lot of it, I'm preparing stuff from from the beginning and I'm not really a materials person, so. <laughs> you're more the on the the theory side um uh, more of the, just the I suppose the, the classroom side <laughs> <laughs> interaction um yeah so uh, just get that done so yeah the the design um of this new curriculum from what you've been telling me sounds really exciting and um, looking forward to talking about that more later on in this podcast. Um, before we get into that, could you just explain a little bit about what your job is, what your role is at the university as a learning advisor? So you work in the SALC. Um, mm -hmm. Some people might not be as familiar with that. Could you just explain a little? Um, well, it's a self-access centre, um, and at the university we have quite a large one, so we have a lot of dedicated staff for it, and the learning advisors are um, based in, in the, uh, the self-access centre, and we, um, we look after it to a degree. Um, and so our main job is to basically counsel the students on their learning. So they come to see us if they have questions regarding how to learn language, what they should do, what uh, resources they should use, how they should do it. Um, and they also come to see us a lot about effective issues, as you know, the confidence, motivation, and um, like self-management, basically like managing their time, um, managing their schedules, this kind of stuff. It's a kind of, so they come to see us one-to-one -one and we talk to them and help them think about what they can do in regards to these issues. And how did you get into the effective side of language learning? Um, when I did my master's degree, when I did the dissertation, I, I, I basically wanted to know why I always had so many students who would tell me they didn't like English, they didn't like studying English. <laughs> And um, also why so many people seem so scared in the classroom <laughs> and didn't really want to talk because um, you're talking about, at that time, yeah, yeah, you're talking about paying customers in, mm. in language schools um, and they're, telling me they're paying all this money and telling me that they don't like doing it. At all. There seems to be a contradiction there. So I was always curious as to what experiences they had which made them feel that way. Mm. And I, it 
became pretty clear that what they were actually meant a lot of the time was when they said they didn't like English, they didn't like studying English. They didn't like the, the kind of formal stuff. They were perfectly happy, you know, just chatting and about stuff in English. It, it's just, it was the thought of formal study that they didn't like. And so you could trace it all days. Um, and and it pretty, pretty much, yeah, most people had a negative opinion of, um, uh, yeah, of their school, of their learning experiences at school. So I wanted to think of ways to help them, um, you know, bypass and overcome that those memories and have enjoyable and productive time in the classroom. And I think that's um, something that you and I have got very much in common is this mm. idea of making the classroom an enjoyable space to practice speaking and something you've repeatedly said to me in all of our you know research collaboration meetings is you know it's such a shame that students feel unable to use the opportunity the classroom gives them to practice speaking yeah. you know for a lot of our students in Japan um, the classroom really is the only time they get to speak in English but when they're scared to speak there, it, it seems such a waste of an opportunity. So how, when you came to work from in the university setting, is that, how did you feel about this lost opportunity? Um, again, it's, yeah, it, you could see the same kind of um, behavior manifesting itself again um students being wary to speak up and speak out so i felt that it's really necessary to and from reading about um, all the information on language anxiety um that it's really necessary to to devise some kind of strategies and, and, and ways to help the students and help them to help themselves dealing with these issues. Right, right. Because of course your SALC at um, Kuiz is really focused on autonomy, autonomous learning, self-directed learning, isn't it? Yeah. So getting the yeah. students to help themselves. That's right. It's um, so the idea is basically um, you promote autonomy through reflection. So students they choose what they want to study through our courses. They um, they select their learning goals. They select what resources they want to use. They select how they want to study, and um, ideally they decide for themselves whether they've reached their goals or not. So um, they also needed some kind of way to manage their emotions as well. Um, when I started, of course, yeah, I mean, effective factors were always taken into account, but we didn't have that many tools for dealing with it. Um, most of the tools were sort of based upon language learning. Um, 
language acquisition. Mm. So, I thought benefit uh, at our institution we could benefit with a few more um, tools for so that myself and the other learning advisors when we met students who had language anxiety we'd be better able to help them so that's kind of why I started to to research that because nobody else right right yeah and that's where your paper came in isn't it you know you want you say in the paper um that you want this practical application. So the reason why I wanted to interview Neil um, is because when I started out in my own research project, my PhD, um, and I started to look at this uh, cognitive behavioral theory-based approach, my supervisor, Dr. Jim King, who was in citation number 27, um, he, he suggested you've got to real, read Neil Curry's paper because um, it's all about CBT and importantly it's the practical application of it and you know finding ways to reduce anxiety and getting students to help themselves which is what I am doing in my PhD I'm doing kind of workshops intervention workshops so Jim recommended that I read Neil's paper, which is what this podcast is about today. Um, so it's, you wrote it in 2014, um, using CBT with anxious language learners, the potential role of the learning advisor. And this was published in Studies in Self-Access Learning Journal. So, of course, you wanted this practical application, but what inspired inspired the whole thing with CBT? Where did that part come from? Um, it's mentioned in um, Joe Minard and Luke Carson's book, um, the 2012 book about advising. Um, let me just get the title of it. I can never remember the name of it. Um, advising in language learning dialogue tools and context that's kind of like at that time that was pretty much the only volume on learning advising what it is and how it works and so forth that you could find and in their introduction um and later on actually in um in david mclaughlin's chapter in the book they talk about the, the use of cbt particularly in cases of um of um how would you say like um of like kind of self-defeating thinking mm. so which is what you do see a lot in 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 students who are anxious that they're kind of um telling themselves that it's not going to work it's not they're not going to successfully communicate and um as actually my sister is a cbt counselor i knew a little bit about it so i started to look at it in a lot more depth and it's fairly obvious very quickly that um, it's the way that the CBT counselor goes about doing their job is pretty much the same as what a learning advisor does. Um, having the person, the patient or the, or the student set goals, um, having uh, um, like a guy, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm losing my thought now. Um, this kind of guided having someone to talk to about it to reflect with about it so reflection is a very big part of that um, it's step by step which is also 
the way in which we have students set language goals. We tell them, set yourself a big goal and then think of small goals as stepping stones. So that's kind of the same. And um, when we talk to students about their learning, we use a lot of Socratic questioning in order to get them to think of um, why they're doing things, whether the, the, the way in which they study works or not, that kind of thing. So there's a huge overlap, basically. So it seemed very logical then, to, to, and it seemed very, very simple just to adapt this CBT way of thinking to effective issues that we saw um, students with. Yeah, that's um, really your paper in a nutshell there. You did this really interesting research project um, to try out these CBT techniques, um, as you mentioned, like goal setting, reflection, um, Socratic questioning. Um, and when I read your paper, I, as you know, I did work in a SALC myself in a different institution. Yeah. Um, and it, yes, it really, the, the overlap really hit me as well. And I think that your paper really inspired me to pursue this CBT based approach. Um, and again, like you said, this students often come to us with really negative thoughts about themselves and they seem to you know they really take it on themselves that my english is not good so therefore i'm not good and i shouldn't really mm -hmm. be speaking in the classroom it's a, a real you know domino effect isn't it they just these negative yeah. thoughts bounce into the next one and hit the next one and set off the next one and set off the cycle yeah exactly um, and I think I agree with you, especially in our context being in Japan, you get a lot of this negative self-attribution, you know, oh, I'm not good, my English is not good, um, oh, I'm, I'm never going to be able to speak properly, and so on. Do you, do you think that is unique to Japan? It's a question I often get like when I go to conferences, like, do you think that's quite context-specific? Um, not entirely, of course, but I do think, and it's, it's been researched as well, right, that the Japanese classroom is much more um, stressful in terms of the pressure that students feel yeah. there from the other students in the class, that they, they feel that they're being watched. I mean, um, Shoko Yoneyama's uh, study about right, the silence and resistance yeah. when she talks about the classroom and having this, um, this the students reporting that they're being watched all the time mm. by the others, this, this feeling. <laughs> uh, so that and, and, and the feeling that they're being judged on their performance and what they say and how they act. Um, I think that's maybe a lot more stronger than, than other players. Certainly, I, I didn't really feel like that in, in, when I was um, at school. Mm. Um, of course, we do to some degree, right? But, but here, it does, it does seem to be very strong. And people are uh, very... Um, wary about taking risks and being embarrassed. I think maybe maybe more so than some other places. So it's especially relevant in this context 
and it's, I think it's especially important that students are, uh, do feel confident when they're when they're speaking and they can feel free from this this feeling yeah I think that taking a risk is very much a part of language learning isn't it especially with yes. the speaking performance part in a classroom um it is a risk it's it a is a risk thing. yeah um and as you know part of the cbt approach is is to it is to make uh, people take risk you have to take a risk if you're gonna resolve your problem um so it, it does um it, it it does prompt the students to take action I mean, only they can speak for themselves, right? Only they can um, make their problems go away in this kind of context. So anything which empowers them, like CBT, is, is really something that has to be um, paid attention to. And I think what I really like about the CBT-based approach is... Um, First of all, showing students how much their thoughts can affect their feelings and thus their behavior, like the power yeah. of their thoughts. Um, but also, it's not at all saying like, well, don't be negative, it'll be <laughs> fine, deal yeah. with it kind of thing. Like, you can speak and it will be fine because we can't guarantee them that they won't have a negative experience of speaking, but no. giving them that kind of, like you said, empowerment to deal with, well, okay, I did make a mistake, but this is how I can manage my feelings about that mistake by yeah. using yeah. my thoughts, balancing out my thoughts, being more objective about it. Um, That's right. You know, I made a mistake. It's um, It was embarrassing, but I'm going to get over it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 as you know, a lot of the fear is um, is groundless, really, because what they're worried about happening doesn't really occur. Like they're worried that people think badly of them, but when yeah. when they're talking about it, and they ask their friends about it, they find well, the friends that I don't care about that if you make a mistake. <laughs> yeah. So so they can start to lose that kind of feeling. And um, yeah, and see it in a, in a more positive way. If they do make a mistake, it's it, it doesn't matter so much. It's it's not it's not something that should prevent them from from speaking out. Mm. And you write that in your paper, don't you? You know, it's the their choice how to perceive that mistake or whatever happened when they yeah. were speaking. It's their choice. It's um, the mistake itself is actually not a negative event. Um, some people will think a mistake is a very positive thing, you know, um, oh, yeah. I made a mistake, my teacher corrected me, oh, I learned something there, great. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but then other people will be like, oh, I made a mistake, oh, I'm such a failure with this, I'm not a good yeah. language learner, I'm just going to not take risks anymore and stay silent. Yeah, that kind of student that we really want to concentrate on and and unfortunately you actually i think we do see a lot of that that type especially especially in their freshman years but even even beyond that you, you'll still i still get like 40 years who, who think that way 
and that's a real shame isn't it that they've they've gone so far through their you know language learning journey and they're, they're still feeling a bit stuck by their confidence or lack of confidence yeah yeah and again this is why i i believe it's really important to, to start this kind of conversation early on um reflection mastering how to reflect on what you're doing can take a lot of time because uh, it's, it's we're not all naturally reflective or we don't always know how to really reflect beyond on, on learning processes so um, if you start this early the the, uh, the ideas and the ways of doing it begin to get ingrained so hopefully after students have been doing it for a while, by the time they get to their third, their fourth years, they should hopefully be able to better um, understand their learning processes and, and better interpret. Um, and then in your paper, so you do this research project um, looking at how to apply CBT and advising and looking at designing resources to practice these CBT techniques with students. Um, and the paper reports on three students that um, report um, you diagnosed or thought that they had foreign language anxiety and you met with them weekly trying these CBT um, techniques out with them in a one-to-one -one yeah. basis. Were they freshmen? They were all freshmen, yeah. And that's kind of more your focus, isn't it? Like you said, you, you want to, you know, get this, you want to catch the freshmen early um, in their university career and get them, you know, get them the support they need from the start. Um, so these freshmen that took part in this study, can you tell us a little bit about what types of fears or what was where their anxiety was coming from, their experiences? Um, it's mostly sharing the same kind of worries, um, afraid of, which, which you pretty much see in everyone, to be honest, um, afraid of making mistakes mm. and basically being viewed negatively because of that. But mostly afraid of making misunderstand of misunderstandings, yeah, um, yeah, and misunderstandings then causing some kind of you know, breakdown in communication and some kind of uncomfortable scenario, mm. um, and and so for all of them, this kind of self doubt about their abilities and whether they could communicate effectively, um, and and worrying also about what others would think about that made them reticent to talk so um two of them were my students for the course that i was running another was in a class that i was seeing and so they they they, they approached me about that how to how to help them with that so they started coming to you in the south and it, you were you say that you meeting them kind of weekly um yeah what was the first step that you took to introduce these CBT techniques to them? I had them um, describe to me what 
the problem was. So how they're feeling and why they might be feeling that way. But I also wanted them to think about how they wanted to feel. So, um, if that's how I feel now, how do I want to feel, ideally? How do I want to be in class? So I thought that would give us something to work towards, a kind of goal-orientated approach. So they would invariably describe themselves as wanting to be someone who could communicate effectively, <laughs> they want to think, and not, not feel bad, basically, not feel um, worried. So they were really motivated. They were they were quiet in class, but they were motivated to speak. They wanted to. They just felt something was holding. Yeah, them. Mm. yeah. This doesn't for for me. It doesn't work with people who are not motivated. Yeah. <laughs> if they don't want to talk, then they don't want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's okay. But yeah, these are these are all students who do want to talk. I, I, they all wanted to improve their skills. They didn't like feeling the way they they felt, mm -hmm. so they wanted to do something about it. But they, they they weren't really sure what to do. So yeah, that's that's a, a common thread. Yeah, it's it's not going to work on someone who, you know, if if you send someone to me, this person doesn't speak, make them speak. It's not <laughs> speak, come on. Yeah. <laughs> It is like being told, you know, don't be shy. Just don't be shy. Is is just really unhelpful, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's that. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And if yeah, I mean, because some of the students, they're really um, they're, they're not particularly shy. One or two of them were, but I remember having one who was in. I forget the name of the of the circle, but it was it was the singing, is performing performative circle. It was singing and and acting. And I, you know, I'd, I'd see her on stage, like playing a role. And I was, I was like, how come, like, you're you're on stage singing <laughs> yeah. in class? And because it was, um, she told me when I'm on stage, I, I know what I'm going to say. I have the words, but mm. in class, I can't control it. Uh, so that's such that's a key key word, isn't it? That lack of control not being able yeah. to come across as they want to and not being able to control how other people see them. And I know that's something I always worry about when I speak in Japanese, which is my you know, foreign <laughs> language or second languages, am I coming across all right? So yeah. in a, you know, for young adults in an academic environment yeah. that's very formal, but they want to come across well to their peers, um, yeah. It, it must be, you know, very worrying for some of them, especially if you do have a more, ten if you have a tendency to think more on the negative side. That's right. And um, the other very common behaviour that you see, which also has to be addressed a lot of the time, is, is comparing one's own abilities to other people's. And I see students do that a lot. They'll, they'll come and say, well, everyone else in the class is better than me. And so I, I feel like I can't speak. Um, you see that a lot. And, and not just, especially for freshmen, but even, even the fourth years, you, you hear them say stuff like that. And um, so, again, it's, um, they have to kind of learn how to change that view and to stop making that kind of comparison. 
Well, and again, like, you know, it's they're trying to show them they've got a choice. They can either see a peer that they perceive as higher level or having a better ability as a could be a positive thing, you know, like, oh, they're a good role model. I want to be like them. Or seeing it in the negative way, like, oh, I'm never going to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've seen students that um, one in the project we've worked on, we've seen students that don't want to work with someone that they think's better because they'll just think they're going to make an uncomfortable situation like oh they'll be yeah. waiting for me and that's yeah. going to annoy yeah. them and I don't want to waste their time and so on and so on isn't it is this it comes back to that choice you you see it either positively or negatively and trying to get that's that right. balance back so Going back then to what you did with the three students in the study, so you kind of showed them that they've got this choice how to view things and getting them to think about what they want to be like. And you said that yeah. they were motivated to change. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think in my experience too, that is crucial because you, you can't force everybody to speak and want to speak. Some students are studying English for different reasons, aren't they? They're just... Yeah. Um, but yeah, focusing on the ones that want to do it, but just feel that they cannot do it. Um, yeah. So you showed, you got them to think about what they want to be like in the future. Um, and then you talk about kind of getting them to test their beliefs, like finding mm. evidence. Um, could you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Well, no, that's, that's part of the, the regular CBT type activity is to, is to test your belief. If you believe that um, people, are going to think negatively about you if you make a mistake. You have to find that evidence to see if that's actually true or not. Mm. Um, so, and, and this 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 works really well. Like if you, if you say to someone, okay, think about the last time you made a mistake, what happened? And often like, sometimes they, they can't really remember. So it's okay, go and, go and do that next time. When you, if you make a mistake or look when other people make mistakes, what happens? How do other people react? And when they start to think about that and they start to notice, well, often there's no reaction and nobody seems to care, then that's, that's the point at which they can start to challenge that, that belief, right? Like, do I, do I still need to think that people care if they're showing me that they don't? Because mm. most of the time, yeah, people won't care. If, um, <laughs> if it is a big issue... <laughs> are <laughs> oh, making a fuss about your mistakes and maybe it's their problem mm. not yours um, maybe um, that's a, that way of thinking is harder to achieve but <laughs> that's another option like do you, do you really have to care what those people are thinking mm. um, but most of the time it's, it's simply you know, look, look at how the other people around you are acting yeah. Look at your own. I mean, how do you feel when other people make mistakes? And a hundred percent of the time, they say, "I don't care." Yeah. So if you don't care, why would they care? Go and ask your friend about it, and they'll come back and say, "Oh, my friend doesn't care." So once you've adopted that kind of perspective, um, it can lift a lot of the anxiety because they get to see that what they're worried about isn't really happening. Yeah. 
so that that kind of evidence to to actually see that evidence for yourself is really really important so the activities will involve recording writing down what happens and then how do you feel about it and has your perspective changed in any way so kind of sending them out and then getting the student to do their own research in a way so when you're yeah. in a class um and you notice a mistake look around you gather up that evidence and see how people yeah. are acting did you ever get what did any of these students in the study or um, other students you've worked with did they ever worry about um the poker face of their peers um because i've when i've worked with students and i've i've done this with them and i've said like well when somebody made a mistake in class, what, what did people do? Or when you made that mistake, what did, what did your classmates do? And they're like, nothing. There was no reaction. I was like, well, then, okay. And they're like, yeah, but that's what scares me. There was no reaction, complete poker face, nothing going on. And they said that that kind of vagueness of the poker face made them worry more. They started thinking, Oh, what are they thinking about? Why aren't they reacting? <laughs> what was, and it, it, did you ever have that experience that it just goes deeper no. and deeper? No, I've, I've never had that. Um, I would ask that student, um, how do you react when someone makes a mistake? Do you, what kind of face do you make? Because they might be doing the same thing that other people are doing. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, I've, I've, not, I've not had anyone do that um yeah i mean can you can you tell do you, can you read minds you, yeah you don't know what other people are thinking and again it comes it comes back to this what you choose to believe yes um and what i what i tell students is um if you have a negative belief is it helping you or is it stopping you from doing something if it's stopping you from doing something that you want to do then why do, you, why do you hold it? Why don't you change it? What's the point of believing something that doesn't help you in any way? So try and think about it in, in a more objective way, mm. maybe shift their perspective. Yeah, I like to say to that type of student, you know, okay, well, maybe they are thinking something negative about you, but so what? how is that going to affect you and then getting them to think about all that energy they're using in trying mm. to guess what their classmates thinking and they can never <laughs> find out for sure like you said they can't read minds and say so if mm. you used all that energy for moving on and into the next speaking activity and putting all the energy into that performance in a positive way think how much more you know confident you might feel or you know how better you might feel by shifting your energy away because i think it must be exhausting sitting in a classroom <laughs> you're trying to think what to say then you're trying to guess what you know that classmate's thinking about <laughs> and it, mm. it just all that you know their cognition's just being used up yeah it's, yeah it's such a shame isn't it it is and um yeah again like they do have to think about are they helping themselves or not yeah um so, um, so your paper yeah it goes it 
give some really good examples of how to use some of these CBT techniques like testing beliefs, finding evidence, mm -hmm. setting goals um, and reflection. What, um, what happened at the end of this study? Like, what did you notice as the learning advisor? Um, did, did you see any changes in the students as they came back to you during these weekly meetings? Did the students themselves, did they report anything? Um, any changes in their feelings or behaviours through using these techniques? Yeah, it, it, you can notice as it, as it went on that um, by talking about it and by, by adopting a different perspective on it, it, it did change their, their feeling towards speaking out and they were much more willing to take chances. And they, they would set themselves little goals for each class. I will say this, I will, I, I will answer this question. And they found the more that they did that, the better they felt. And, um, and obviously by speaking out more, they practice more and their language skills. So, um, yeah, it, it definitely you could see like a, a more positive perspective coming up. So they and, were taking um, more risks yeah they, um which again like yeah this this can only work with um with people who want to change you have to take the risks and if you're willing to do that you, you start to see the rewards mm. so from yeah from that perspective it was it was good nice um and then in the uh, next stage of this project so you said you wanted to kind of design resources and for practicing these CBT techniques further and going back to the beginning of our interview today you're working on a curriculum for this new faculty or kind of part of this new course aren't you um, yeah. for freshmen to get them early and teach them give them kind of this confidence training yeah. Um, so in my job, sometimes we're consulted by teachers to come and visit their classes. Um, they might have a, a quiet class where a lot of the students seem worried about speaking out. So sometimes we'll go and do a workshop for, that, for, for those classes. So necessary to these kind of activities uh, to make them group orientated. Um, and as I also teach another course on self-directed learning, I've adapted um, these kinds of ideas and, and confidence training into that class as well um, to have students think again about these, these kinds of issues. Because I think this in order for students to really get the most of their classes, um, this kind of activity is like, is, is necessary, especially <laughs> in our context. Um, and it's better to do it early, mm. get people out the way, um, that enable everyone to see that a lot of the other people in their class sharing the same kind of worries and that the work, the thing they're worried about maybe isn't something to be worried about 
if you get that done early and get that out of the way, it should engender a more positive or at least a more relaxed classroom. So come April, I'll be putting that into practice and monitoring throughout the semester how the students feel and how they uh, might take this thinking and apply it to other things as well, maybe. And are you using the same techniques that you write about in your paper, kind of testing beliefs and yeah. reflection? Yeah. Um, so reflection, because reflection is part of the course anyway, so I don't want them only to reflect about their language game and why they've um, increased their skills, but also reflecting on their feelings about how they feel about their learning, both positive and negative. Um, and so for the ones who do feel um, the kind of, like, like how we've been talking about, the ones that feel... Um, worried about what other people are thinking and worried about misunderstandings that they they need to see evidence that those maybe are not something that should um, um negatively impact on their learning so you the since you've written this paper then you've really pushed forward with kind of getting these ideas from the south these individual one-to-one -one sessions where students volunteer like they they seek help don't they and they come to see you yeah. to this kind of um classroom setting where like either a teacher calls you in because they need some support or um like you are doing now with this curriculum um so what challenges have you faced with this because um speaking from some experience of trying to discuss effective issues related to language learning with other teachers um there's a real mixed response isn't there some of mm -hmm. them are like you know oh isn't that mental healthy you sure you should be doing that <laughs> and trying to explain that it's not really that or well you know a bit of anxiety does them good <laughs> you know gets the adrenaline pumping before they take that test um <laughs> you know we've spoken about this before um yeah. you know people are wary of this kind of effective um approach the effective side um how what kind of response have you had from teachers where you because i know that you you're trying to train teachers about this what what have you found any challenges well um no, I mean, most of the teachers who come to talk about this kind of thing share the same outlook. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're conscious about language anxiety and things like that. Um, sometimes, like, because, like, especially in our line of work, um, one worry is, is students will come to us with problems about their learning, but those problems will actually be emotional problems. Mm -hmm. um, which we're not qualified to talk about. Yeah. Um, so people will be worried about their genuine um, emotional, uh, not that language anxiety is not genuine, but um, you know, like uh, things like depression. Mm. Um, kind of non-language non related. Yeah, yeah, those kinds of things. Emotions, um, yeah. Whereas, um, as we've alluded to previously, um, 
the students that we're dealing with are, are fine. They're sometimes maybe a little bit shy, but they're just worried in this particular setting. Yes. Um, yeah. Not emotionally disturbed or depressed or anything like that. Um, and, and actually, we that it doesn't really for us learning advisors it doesn't really happen that students don't come to us with those kinds of problems because they know that's not what we're there for mm. um, but actually um the biggest uh, challenge is simply that i'm not a teacher i don't have classes apart from the one class i teach um i'm thinking now i've had one or two but most of the courses I do are basically like distance learning. They're they're, um, they're one-to-one courses students take independently, um, and now we do them online. So I only have one class. So, like I say, I do some confidence training with that, but that's it. So, in order to try out these techniques I have to use other people's classes which makes it very difficult to do any long-term monitoring of of the students in those classes Um, I can only kind of see how the activity initially and maybe follow it up once or twice or something but that's the the biggest issue so hopefully now with um, this regular class that I'm able to teach and able to set the uh, the curriculum for and the syllabus for, I can, um, that, that's not so much of a problem now. I have to say, I'm extremely envious that you've got this whole curriculum and the course dedicated to, you know, confidence training. Um, as, as, I, as you know, I, I do teach, um, I have a full teaching schedule, but I'm also trying to include some of this confidence training in my classes. But like you said, it, it's very hard to follow up. In your case, it's because you can't get into the classroom regularly. In my case, it's because there's just so many other things that we have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this being able to follow up, because you it's not just a one-time hit thing. You can't just show them, well, yeah. if you have balanced thinking, you'll feel better. Um, yeah. Good luck with that. See you later. I mean, some students, you know, maybe that would be enough. But regular follow up and you know, developing reflection skills, as you say, it's not actually um, obvious to some students how to do that and how to do it well. So um, yeah, I'm very envious that you've got this whole curriculum lined up just to focus on confidence training i think that's very exciting but not just for confidence training but, <laughs> but um, you know the effective side you know confidence training and reflection you're doing those sorts of things aren't you yeah well it's self-directed learning mm. which um of course that includes um effective management um motivation and so we'll look at um, time management and, and energy management as well, that kind of thing, as well as the regular things like um, setting language goals and choosing language resources and things. So in the class, introducing confidence activities early on, 
hopefully I'll be able to monitor as the students reflect throughout the course on uh, the effect that the activities might have had and how that, not just the activities themselves, but kind of that, maybe that change in the way of thinking, mm -hmm. change in perspective, how they might start applying it to other things as well. Because um, for me, a lot of the, the CBT thinking, it's, it's critical thinking. It's thinking critically about yourself, learning to think a little bit more objectively rather than reacting emotionally to everything. And um, it, it crosses over to other aspects of learning as well. Like, um, for example, things like time management. Um, students often have beliefs about themselves, which are, which don't help themselves like this belief I'm lazy mm. therefore I'm not going to be able to get the work done but you're not lazy maybe you're just not studying in a way which is suits your personality maybe if you learn to think a little bit differently or learn to kind of see yourself in a, in a less critical way um, not as this idealized perfect student but how you really are, you might be able to manage yourself better. So it, it kind of, yeah, for me, it, 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 the thinking is kind of the same behind it. You can, you, you can um, help them to, to get a different perspective on what they're doing. I think that's uh, absolutely crucial for the freshmen because they've been in a very rigid learning environment, haven't they? Um, yeah. And then suddenly yes. they're launched into this, you know, the university life. Um, I mean, there's a whole social side to deal with, but it's a completely different way of learning. And they're just expected to pick up and run with it um, and just get on with this kind of freedom. And yeah, they see themselves as, well, I should be doing this. I should be keeping up with that classmate or I, I need to be getting this test score and they yeah. they they do need to be shown that actually you're very much an individual learner and you're at your own pace unfortunately yeah they do have to keep up with some targets that are set yeah. for them but you know they've got to emerge into themselves and the language learner they want to be um yeah yeah Exactly. And then through that, they should hopefully become autonomous and, and be able to make their own choices about what they want to do and, um, and uh, know when they've achieved it. And hopefully by doing that, yeah, they can make better choices about what they do and maybe be a lot more happy about what they're doing as well. And not, not look at uh, the learning experience in a look back at it as a as a as a negative thing but something which um empowered them and really helped them later on in life definitely um giving them i th i think you know these effective related skills or tools are just as important as the you know nuts and bolts of learning grammar and vocabulary and how mm. to read yeah. quicker and how to um you know, the listening skills, I think it, they're just as important because there's so much emotion involved with language learning. Yeah. How do you feel, though, with um, doing this in a classroom situation? You know, when you were 
with in the individual sessions um, a student had come to you they were motivated they wanted to change their behavior or their feelings um, and you could work with them and kind of personalize the approach for them how do you feel about doing this in a classroom though where it's just you know it's 20 25 different individuals they might not even be anxious they might not <laughs> um need this type of effective stuff right now how have you had any criticisms or been challenged about that as you've been producing this curriculum um no um simply because there's always somebody is <laughs> anxious that always is um it might only be a minority but yeah you do find you do find that type and um part of um part of this this confidence building is, is also to create a good class environment um that everyone can enjoy mm. so even people who are confident and happy to speak if they get stuck with a partner or a group or whatever who just sit there and, and can't say anything their experience is not going to be very good either mm. so in order to benefit everybody um it, yeah it's, it's good to get this kind of way of thinking um get it out there in the open everyone can um can think about it plus um people who don't feel confident can maybe learn from those who do and is there something in their experience some something that they've um, encountered or some way of thinking that they have which enables them to maybe take risks um, or accept challenges and um, yeah they can learn from that as well and i think that's um another thing i really like about your whole approach is this idea of bonding like getting the class mm. to bond and being good classmates supporting one another um, for the anxious students, I think it's good for them to realize that, like you said, um, oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, yeah. other people are feeling a bit nervous as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for the more confident ones, um, not every situation in the class is going to be smooth and easy going for them. So That's yeah, right. I think everyone can benefit in some way from just being aware of these effective skills and effective tools that they can use. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and you can apply it, you can apply the thinking, like I said, to other situations as well. Um, not just not just for confidence, but that that learning how to be more objective about yourself. And one of the things oh sorry, one of the things you you said you you're gonna use is kind of scenarios. Yeah. Um, and that's come from Oxford and Gokono's My Managing Your Emotions in the Classroom. They've created this instrument, right, yeah. um, which you introduced me to and we've been doing research with. Um, yeah. How did you come across the My and why did you want to use it in your own research? Well, Christina was visiting our school and she gave a, a presentation on that. And um, I, looking at it, it, it looked like for this kind of setting, it would be it would be really useful um, as as a means of presenting these ideas to students. Because, um, like one 
I forget the authors now. I think it's Westbrook, one of the CBT. Um, uh, yeah, Westbrook and Kirk's volume. But one of the approaches that they take is like, what would you, what would you advise someone else in this situation? If you're feeling anxious about this, what would you tell someone else? And so looking at a scenario is not about you; it's about a third party. Like it, it can make it easier to talk about. Um, you don't have to talk about how you're feeling to someone that you don't know very well. You can talk about a third party and get those ideas out there. And maybe you can see something of yourself in that scenario as well. And then maybe you can start to think about your situation and what you might be able to do about it. So it, it looked to me to have that kind of appeal to it as a way to introduce the ideas to students. Also, the, the MAI, sorry, just um, in case people are not familiar with the MAI, um, it, it's a series of different scenarios, isn't it, in the classroom yes. or related to speaking um, a foreign language and how they feel in that situation, um, why they feel like that and how they yeah. can cope with it, that type of thing, isn't it? So That's right. It's aimed at teachers, right, uh, language, language teachers. Um, and it's very long. <laughs> <laughs> um, the hour is much shorter but yeah 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 that's basically what it's about and so, we used uh, it as a yeah. data collection tool didn't we to collect um how students felt in different scenarios so we could try to pinpoint what situations triggered anxiety in the classroom um to kind of that's right think about classroom based approaches you know so things like making a mistake um being corrected by a peer being corrected by yeah. a teacher which which of these um you know scenarios did the students seem to need the most help with um and then you're going yes. to use these scenarios as you said in your course um yeah it's a great way kind of hypothesizing isn't it you know getting the student you don't have to talk about yourself but why do you think that student might feel like that and just creating that little bit of distance to make it easier yeah. for students to discuss that's right feelings. And, and what it what it does is also from from my point of view that or the teacher's point of view is it, it highlights what they know and what they don't know mm. So if they're giving this person advice, you can look at the kind of advice that they're giving and then you can see um, what, yeah, what they know about it, how well they would be able to do it for themselves. So you'll often see things like, um, when I've done it before, um, what would you say to this person? And then they say, oh, I would say be confident or I would say practice more. I say, well, the, the, they don't want to speak, so practicing more maybe isn't going to help them that's the problem um and, and you can't just be confident right you, how do you become confident is the question that i would throw back at them and that they can't answer that so it, it does it does show um and justifies the need to take the next step so okay this is how we can be confident um this is and this is how you could maybe start to practice it even though you're feeling the way that you feel and so people who are feeling like that can see that and then they can adopt those ideas for themselves 
And we've used it as um, a kind of a warm-up activity, haven't we, to, at the beginning of a workshop, um, yeah. get students into group, give them the scenario, for example, Hanako is in class, um, she's in a group activity, she said something in English and she made a mistake, and now she doesn't want to speak anymore. Why does, how do you think Hanako feels? Why do you think she feels like that? Mm. Um, what advice would you give Hanako? And um, yeah, it's really good, isn't it, to see one, does that bother them? Why does it bother yeah. the students? And um, yeah, what advice have they got? Because, and how much pressure are they putting them on themselves? For example, well, she should practice more. Um, <laughs> You know, and if they're saying that to themselves, that's a huge yeah. amount of pressure, isn't it? You know, oh, I should have yeah. practiced more. And it comes back to that, um, oh, I'm not good at this and this negative self attribution or this, yeah. yeah, oh, she should just be more confident or, um, oh, just do your best next time. <laughs> and, um, you know, and trying to then get the students to, take the next steps in that. Okay, so be confident. Well, well what should Hanako do to be more confident? What challenges are there to being more confident? Yeah. Yeah. As strategies, they're not they're not strategies. Yeah. Um, you have to have a plan of something that you can do and then you can measure how successful it is or not. Um yeah. <laughs> it's um <laughs> I mean, and and again, it's 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 a kind of thinking that you see for, for a lot of in self-directed learning. Um, I think you see statements like, "I will, I need to talk more, so I'll learn more vocabulary. I'll, mm. and then I'll be able to say more." Um, sure, but as a plan, it's it, it's just so vague as to be unusable, unusable, um, and this kind of lack um i guess it's partly a lack of training or a lack of realization and how do i actually build this into a workable plan for myself that well, then i can act upon well i guess it uh, has worked for them in the past hasn't it because to prepare for the entrance exams you know the high school entrance exam the university entrance exam learning more vocabulary, you know, memorizing those little books of vocabulary has been the answer. Yeah, it, it worked in that context, but yeah, but not, not in anymore. The anymore so. <laughs> it's um it's changed and those ways of working aren't gonna aren't gonna suffice now. So um, you have to adopt something else and you've got to be flexible. And that must just add to the their worries, you know, well what worked for me before what made me feel confident, what what got me the good result that I wanted, no longer works, or it doesn't work as much. And um, mm. you know, and, and they they've lost their coping, their positive coping strategy, and and they're not, and then they just feel worse, don't they? Yeah, that that can happen. Um, the other. Maybe the flip side of that is is um, if you've been studying in that way for a long time and you come to a setting where the whole way of learning has changed, saying, well, that doesn't really work anymore. It's kind of like saying to that person, well, you've been failing all this time. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> you've been wrong, which of course isn't true and isn't really fair. Um, so that's why it's so important for them to, to find their own way on, in, in, on their own terms. Um, and, and that could involve just doing what they did before, but it, you know, it might involve doing something different. So, yeah. And you, you know, you wrote about that in your paper, that is one of the, um, strategies, kind of goal setting and smart goals, um, yeah. you know, setting realistic, achievable, small goals, you know, getting them to go step by step. Yeah. But it's yeah, hard to get them. Sorry. I would say it, it's hard though sometimes to get them to break it down. Um, and I think, I don't know how you feel about your experience with students, but I feel that after the entrance exam, they're a little bit lost um, and they're not sure what goals they want. They say, and so they come up with, you know, well, I want to speak like a, a native speaker. I want to be yeah. fluent. And yeah. like you said, you don't want to destroy that. You don't want to destroy what they've had before, what's worked for them, but um, how to get them to break all that down and and feel positive about it, you know, planning for success rather than making them go, oh, I'm never going to do this. This is it's too much. Yeah, um, that, that is an issue. Yeah, the, uh, at our place, they, they often have students set goals. When, when the students are doing their orientations at their, at their camp, they'll have certain goals. So give yourself a goal for this semester or this year. Yeah, and often the student doesn't really know what constitutes the goal. Um, and they'll have like a, like a senpai saying something, oh, you should, you, you should study TOEIC, you should get this TOEIC score and, and things like that. So they, they choose, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Mm. Um, and again, it's not really owned by them. It's, yeah. it's just someone else. You must set a goal. <laughs> I guess we do that to a degree. <laughs> um, of course, it's kind of natural to have goals while you're learning. <laughs> um, uh, don't think you'd get very far if you didn't. But um, as, as much as that, as much as possible, that that goal setting um, process should be something that you own yourself. Mm. Um, in our courses, that's what we promote to the students. Like you, you set the goal, and you set it on your own terms, and um, and and you do what you want to do basically, because it's it's yours and no one else is going to be examining you on that. Even if it's a test, it's, it's up to you how well you want to do on that test. So, um, it's, it, it does help. Um, it, it might seem like a big jump between having everything taught to you to go into deciding things for yourself yeah but you know students aren't um students are autonomous to a degree already <laughs> um they're not completely ruled by um other people around them and um they're perfectly capable of, of making their own choices and um the whole exercise anyway is is not necessarily to produce a fixed result so the student starts off at a position and they want to get to some 
somewhere better, like being able to speak better or something like that, maybe they don't actually get there. But if they can understand through the process why they didn't, then they can understand themselves a lot better. Mm. And then maybe beyond that, they can start to make choices which help them better. So it's the process is maybe more important than the actual result in in terms um, in terms of their thinking. It's kind of hard to explain, but I mean the way I see it is the, the students will come to us and they'll say, "Oh, so I want to by the end of the semester I want to be a better speaker." Um, but like I said, I, I don't. I want them to succeed, but I don't care so much about that. I I care about how they are going to understand how to be a better speaker yeah. and what they're going to do to be a better speaker and how well that works or doesn't work for them. That's the kind of thing that I want them to really think about. And that's really the key part of CBT, isn't it? You know, someone has got yeah. um, a behavioral goal and but their feelings are kind of preventing them from getting there sometimes and you know working with them through all these different techniques of testing beliefs and setting goals and reflecting to be able to manage their thoughts and get to their goal um, and absolutely I think CBT as you said is such a great fit for yeah. that there's so many elements of it that can be applied in language learning and it doesn't have to be a you know doesn't have to be this worry about always oh, in that getting into the mental health side as you said as long as you keep <laughs> it clear it's on the language learning part um there's plenty of practical application there yeah um, and, and like i say it's it's what people do anyway people set goals and they measure the goals and they talk to other people about the goals and they think about how they got to the goal and they change their minds about stuff and we do that in all kinds of things every day right absolutely um, yeah so there's nothing, nothing risky about that. It's 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 really just um, structuring it for this particular situation and and really um, making it, yeah, fixing on this particular issue, this particular problem. And yeah, as I think in my experience too, it's very rare that a student comes to you with um, a. A non-language related emotional issue such you know family problem or something like that i think yeah. students do get you know what what you're there for and what the purpose of the you know this approach yeah. is um so i think i mean and recently you know you've probably noticed too a lot of universities um here back home in the uk um there is this um increase recently in interest in students mental well-being it's not necessarily mm. of course there's the mental health but well-being and providing yeah. university students with the tools to be independent and autonomous learners and and get through university because everyone's at such a different pace aren't they in different position and yeah. you can't just all force them through and expect them to succeed um, they need different tool sets, don't they, to get through it and make a success yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, yeah, as as you're saying before, um, it's 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 another kind of skill 
to add to the kind of, I guess, traditional view of skills, like having knowledge of grammar or vocabulary or whatever, or having knowledge of how to deal with a, a stressful, anxiety-inducing situation is, is another language skill, which is really useful. Because, um, you know, we, we do find ourselves in stressful situations sometimes. I mean, communicate uh, as well as we want to. And you can control the linguistic sides somewhat, can't you? You know, if you're if you've got a presentation in class, you yeah. can write the speech, you can write out a script, you can fix it and improve it and practice it, and you can really control that part. But actually, in the classroom, there's so many variables in kind of the interpersonal relationships going on with their peers. Yeah um the teacher but especially their peers um that they just cannot control at all and i think that's as you said before that's where all these fears come out you know they're they're predicting things going wrong yeah because yeah. and the panic comes because they know no matter how much they've prepared when it comes to it the part they cannot control they they can choke and then all that preparation's gone and the frustration they feel, it, it's, yeah. it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. And, it, and it's very demotivating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay then, well, thank you ever so much. Um, I mean, you and I chat all the time about our research. We're working on several projects together, but um, mm. it's great to hear more about the curriculum design and you know where yeah. you got your inspiration from um and how you, you know you came about into this kind of cbt based approach for individuals but also classes it's really interesting to hear so thank you very much for um oh, spending time with me this afternoon <laughs> let's let's see how well it works then <laughs> Yeah, I, I can on it. very much look forward to um, seeing how this curriculum um, pans out. I think it's going to be incredibly interesting and, you know, and not just the immediate results, but, you know, how will these students feel next year and the following year and yeah, whether they can use these tools when they're they you know, just, away yeah. from you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which often happens with a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, definitely. Yeah. All right, well, um, once again, thank you very much to Neil Curry. His, the paper we've been discussing today is his 2014 Using CBT with Anxious Language Learners, the Potential Role of the Learning Advisor. Um, very interesting paper, um, gives you some CBT techniques to um, like suggestions that you could go and look at yourself if you wanted to try. All right, Neil, take care. Thank you ever so much. All right. Bye. Bye. Lost in Citations is an audio journal that invites you to contribute your own interviews. If there's someone whose work you cite regularly and you'd like to hear more from them, then please feel free to arrange your own interview and submit it for consideration. For more information, go to lostincitations.com where you'll find our guide for contributors. What we ask is you submit a five-minute audio sample 
before the interview so that we can help you with any audio quality issues. Then you can go ahead and record 45 minutes to an hour and submit it at lostincitations at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, we have Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages. Finally, a very helpful thing you can do is, if you like the work we're doing, recommend it to a friend. Thank you very much.